I want you to raise your hand if you have ever said some variation of the following phrase, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time. That's something you say when you're in the midst of doing something foolish, dangerous, embarrassing, and otherwise disastrous in every way. I was thinking about the characters in the Bible who do big, important things, even though we don't know their names. I was thinking about the characters who play bit roles in bigger stories mentioned across just a few sentences and then gone, but their impact so much bigger than the page space they've been given in your Bibles. And I had a pretty good idea what I would talk about for each of those weeks. I knew those stories, knew the lessons they shared, knew they'd be able to preach, as they say. But for this last week, I wanted to challenge myself and maybe challenge all of us a little bit. I decided I would talk about the four mostly unknown disciples, four of the twelve, a quartet of guys who don't have any speaking lines in your Bibles, a quartet of guys who don't feature in any major way, in any major story, a quartet of guys you've probably never heard a sermon about before and who I have definitely never heard a sermon about before, and I'm not really sure how this is going to go, but whatever happens, just remember, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> Let's pray. God, speak through the empty parts of these stories this morning. Fill in the blanks in this message the same way that you fill in the empty spaces in our hearts. Teach us what it means to follow you. And as we earnestly seek your word for our life this morning, help us to choose. Help us to choose to follow you more closely when we leave. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, today we are talking about the four of the twelve disciples, Nicholas, Andrew, Justin, and Jeffrey, a group of men you think about so little, you didn't notice that Nicholas, Andrew, Justin, and Jeffrey are not actually the names of the disciples. They're the members of the 1990s boy band, 98 Degrees. <laughs> In actuality, the names of the disciples we'll be talking about today are James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Jude Thaddeus, and Matthias. That's uh, James up there. Uh, James Minor is what it says. And then you can see uh, Simon all the way on this end. And uh, you can find uh, Jude, Jude Thaddeus up there too. Matthias isn't even in this painting. But we'll talk about that a little later. So let's start with James Minor. James the Lesser. A disciple so unknown that his Wikipedia page is significantly shorter than the Wikipedia page for the California Raisins. We have no idea who this guy really is, and your Bible isn't going to do you very many favors figuring it out. That's because there are three men named James who are associated with Jesus. James, son of Alphaeus, is the least renowned of the three Jameses. And most of the time, when your Bible refers to a James, it doesn't actually tell you which James it's talking about. It's a super confusing thing. 
So even when it does talk about James, we don't actually know for sure if it is talking about this James. This is why James got himself the following nicknames. James the Lesser, James the Minor, James the Little, and James the Younger. I have a feeling he didn't love those nicknames. He is mentioned only four times in the New Testament. And the four times that he's mentioned, it's only when people are listing the 12 apostles. Neither his words, nor his history, nor his individual actions are mentioned. Depending on who you talk to and what faith tradition they come from and what theological background they come from, you might hear that James is Jesus' brother, but then probably not. You might hear someone say he's Matthew's brother, but then probably not. There's mixed tradition about how James the Less died, and no one's really sure about that either. We know that James the Less was one of the 12 apostles, and we know his dad's name was Alphaeus, and that is all we really know about this guy. Then there's Simon the Zealot. We somehow know less about Simon than we do about James the Less. In fact, your Bible will use the name Simon to refer to Simon Peter way more than it will to refer to Simon the Zealot here. Simon the Zealot was from Canaan, but maybe not. Some biblical scholars, and this is really fun, some biblical scholars maintain that the word zealot is a mistranslation and that Simon was not actually a zealot, which means we don't even know if his nickname is right. Some people say he's a stepbrother of Jesus, but we don't know that either. Given all that, the only thing we can say for certain is that this dude's name was Simon. When you see artistic interpretations of Simon, he's almost always holding a gigantic lumberjack's saw. Because tradition maintains that Simon was martyred for his faith in Ethiopia and that he was sawed in half vertically. Yeah, okay. That brings us to Jude Thaddeus. And don't worry, we actually know a few more things about Jude Thaddeus. For example, we know that his original name probably wasn't Jude or Thaddeus. Originally, his name was Judas. Not that one Judas, a different Judas. But you can understand why he talked to his friends and was like, hey, maybe... Uh, Maybe just call me Jude from now on, you know? We know that Jude Thaddeus was present at the Pentecost. Some traditions maintain that he was the author of the book of Jude. Other traditions maintain that Jude is also a brother of Jesus. Some suggest that Jude was the bridegroom at the wedding at Cana, at Cana where Jesus did his first miracle, turning water into wine. Still, other traditions maintain that Jude and Thaddeus are actually different people. It's tough to say. Tradition maintains that this dude was martyred by an axe, and so they always paint him carrying an axe. I don't think they would love this, Craig. I don't... When they paint me after my life is over, put a smile on my face, and don't make me hold the thing that I was killed with, please. <laughs> the last one for today is Matthias. Matthias is the one who's not even in that painting, the famous painting of the Last Supper, and I'll tell you why. It's because Matthias wasn't one of the 12 apostles at the time of the Last Supper. His story is in the book of Acts chapter 1. 
And this is after, after Jesus. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, which is too many names for one person, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the then 11 apostles. So did you know that when we talk about the 12 apostles, it is more accurate to say there were 13? Judas was one for a while. And they cast him out. They brought in Matthias. Everything your Bible tells you about Matthias is right here. He's never mentioned again. We know that he was around at least from the time of Jesus' baptism. We know that he was present at the crucifixion, that he was a witness to the resurrection. We have an idea about how he died, but uh, I'm going to save that for you in a little bit. First, I have a few questions for you. What does it mean to be a disciple? Are you a disciple? When did you become a disciple? It's a loaded question, isn't it? Is it enough to just believe in Jesus to consider yourself a disciple? Is it enough to come to church to pray before bed, to open your Bibles a few times a week? Our best definition for discipleship comes from the last part of Matthew chapter 28, a section of your Bible called the Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When, he saw them, when he, they saw them, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded with you. Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So what does a disciple do? A, a disciple, we know, makes more disciples. A disciple is someone who leads other people into faith, who introduces other people into the body of Christ who helps other people learn how to live according to God's commands. And I want to share with you something that I discovered in this passage a long time ago, something that's guided the way I viewed my own ministry, my own discipleship for almost 20 years now. See, I decided a long time ago that I think the things that Jesus says here matter. And I also decided that the order of the things he says here mattered too. When he tells us to make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them to obey, I think he's laying an ordered path before our feet. When we make disciples, we first help people to believe in the resurrection power of Christ. When we baptize them, we're helping them to belong to the church. And when we teach them the commands of Jesus, we're teaching them to behave in the way of Christ. 
That's the path that each of us is traveling, isn't it? We believe in God, we belong to the church, and we're still figuring out how to behave the way God wants us to. Believe, belong, behave. And I want you to notice how different the order of those items is for the way that faith is often propagated. See, you know lots of people, have seen lots of efforts from lots of people who do it backwards. Lots of people who spend their effort trying to make people who don't yet believe behave the way they think they should. When I did youth ministry, it was always with the understanding that I couldn't spend my time persuading a struggling eighth grader to believe or to, to live like a Christian if she first didn't believe in Jesus. A disciple is someone who brings other people to faith, brings them into a church, and teaches them to live by the example of Jesus in that order. How about you then? Does that make you a disciple? When did you become a disciple? How are you living as a disciple? And if you're still a little confused by all of that, I've got four friends that might help us today. You already know their names. James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Jude Thaddeus, and Matthias the Replacement. See, when I set out to write this message, I dove into extra-biblical research. I consulted several times with a friend of mine who teaches the history of the first-century church at Notre Dame. I wasn't lying when I said there's almost nothing we knew for certain about these four disciples. There's even less in your Bible, but that doesn't mean we can't be inspired by what they did with their lives and their ministries and their discipleship. James the Less, for example, had a whole ministry and an important one. It's believed that he was the first person to lead a mass inside the city of Jerusalem. In some versions of Catholic traditions, he's recognized as the first archbishop of Jerusalem. He might be largely unknown throughout the annals of scriptures. You might not have heard about him before today. But he may have been the bringer of Christianity to Jerusalem, the most important latitude and longitude of world religions. In the Catholic Church, he's also venerated as the patron saint of pharmacists and dying people. Not bad for a guy whose very nickname underscored his level of unimportance. Then there's Simon. For 30 years after the resurrection, before he was plausibly sawed in half vertically, he evangelized across the nations of Egypt, Persia, Armenia, Beirut, and Lebanon. Jude Thaddeus also traveled all over the place, spreading the good news and planting churches wherever he went. The entire presence of Christianity in the nation of Armenia can trace its roots directly to him. And then there's my favorite of the four. I love Matthias. I love his history. I love his story, except the one part at the end. When I tell this to you, you are going to be shocked that you've never heard any of this before. Before I do, I should include a disclaimer that Matthias' story and all these other ones are steeped in different and sometimes competing Catholic and Orthodox traditions. But regardless, I knew as soon as I read this that I was going to share it with you. According to a few different sources, Matthias's job was that he was sent to evangelize and preach exclusively to cannibals. Yeah, 
Remember that next time we encourage you to invite a friend or neighbor to, to join you for Easter Sunday. We could instead, for example, encourage you to go embed yourself in a city of cannibals. Have to wonder what Matthias was thinking when he wound up in the city of cannibals. He probably said something like, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. In the Catholic tradition, Matthias is venerated as the patron saint of carpenters, alcoholics, perseverance, and the city of Gary, Indiana. (laughs) Matthias, the patron saint of Gary, Indiana. I don't know what it means that when Gary, Indiana decided to choose a patron saint, the one guy that came to mind was the guy who spent his ministry in a city full of cannibals. We don't know a ton about any of these guys. We don't know what special skills or talents they might have had. We don't know about their giftedness. We don't know about their connectedness. We don't know a lot about their personalities. All we really know is that they followed Jesus. And that's enough. The fruits of their faithfulness include the spread of Christianity around Europe and Asia and Africa, and that's the kind of thing that can happen when you follow Jesus. And what about you? The details of your story are not going to wind up in the Bible. The Bible's already been written, and we're not getting a sequel. You may not live to get your own Wikipedia page. You may never be more famous than the California Raisins. But at the moment you decide to follow Jesus, you set off a cascade of actions that will transform your life, your household, your workplace, your community, and the world. See, this message was never about James or Simon or Jude or Matthias. It's about Sue Zumbrun and Gene Womer and Doug Fetcher, faithful disciples without whom I would not have a faith life to call my own. It was about the generations of millions of unnamed, unknown, and unsung disciples of Jesus Christ. Your inclusion in this place today, this morning, is the product of the grace of Jesus and the result of an unbroken chain of disciples that spans generations, faithful people who shared the good news and passed along the faith time and again, any one of those people could have abdicated their responsibility to faithful discipleship and like a broken link in a centuries-old genealogy, drastically changed the way that your life is lived today, drastically changed your eternity altogether. This message was written to invite you to claim your place in the chain to be among the great cloud of witnesses, to renew your own call to discipleship, and to ask you again to decide to follow Jesus. And you know, I've heard talk of seed planting before. And I've heard people say, what if one person you reach reaches one person who reaches one person who reaches the next Billy Graham? Wouldn't that be amazing? And it would be. But you know what? I don't need all that. And neither do you. Because if for all your effort, 
and faithfulness and love and generosity if for all of it, just one more person, just one more living, breathing human person with a beating heart and a God-given soul came to know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and the promise of life eternal, for just one more person, it would all be worth it. I believe that I am in a room right now with faithful disciples. I am the proof of the truth of that statement. I believe that this room full of people is excited to live like faithful disciples, to be love, to spread love, to make famous the saving power of Christ Jesus, to send ripples throughout history, to bring God's kingdom to the broken places in our world. And if that's you this morning, will you pray with me? God, speak to our hearts and speak through our mouths. Where we find fear, so in us bravery. Where we find struggle, so in us joy. Where we find hate, give us love. And when we are uncertain, give us your wisdom. We are your disciples the carriers of your promise, the givers of your grace, the promise of your inheritance. We will go now to live that way, always for you, because of who you are. Amen.